Welcome to episode 27 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm the phenom, Bob Williams. And I'm the guy pressing the buttons. My name is Pod Severance. Welcome. On today's show, is it possible that the New Orleans Hornets might be the best team in the NBA? Which non-AQ team has the best shot or non-shot at getting into a title or even the BCS itself? And in honor of the Dallas Cowboys, I will be firing one of our show's hosts halfway through the show. Stay tuned. And now on to this week in sports. This is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from every day of the past week. Our hosts will give a short comment on each of the days. Starting off with Wednesday, Deshaun Jackson of Philadelphia Eagles passes post-concussion tests. Bob? Uh, this is actually great. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's a really great story for the Philadelphia Eagles there. Teamed up with Jeremy Macklin are probably two of the most dynamic guys in, in the NFL receiving. So this this is good overall for the Eagles. Color me, uh, color me boring, but I'm actually a little bit more excited about the fact that he had to pass the concussion test than I am the fact that he successfully passed them. The fact that the league is implementing these tests and requiring all players who are suspected of having concussions to pass these tests before they come back to action, definitely a step in the right direction for the NFL. I just want to know what their IQ is. Can these guys pass these tests pre-concussion? And on Thursday, Cam Newton offered for cash in exchange for signing letter of intent. Matt? Well, I happen to be sitting in Alabama right in the heart of Auburn country as we speak. And the consensus around here is that this story is based on no facts, single source, and that the uh, reporter who broke the story is finding himself in a lot of hot water. Not a, not a popular story, and so far there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of links that uh, are solid linking this money grab with this player. So it's another non-story made by a non-journalist trying to get his name out there. If something happens and there's actually more fire than smoke, which at this point it doesn't seem like, it's going to be sad for both Newton and Auburn's great season, but just don't see anything happening. On Friday, Hall of Fame manager Sparky Anderson passes away. Wow. This is sad, you know, just because it's the passing of a legend. When, when I think of managers in baseball, you think of nowadays it's Joe Torre and how he did with the New York Yankees. But in the past, it was Sparky Anderson and how he did in the, in the 70s and the 80s with the Reds and the Tigers. You know, when, when Sparky got hired back in 1969, the headline in the newspaper read Sparky Who the next day. After uh, winning 102 games and runner-up in the World Series that year, nobody was asking that after that. For sure, he's an all-time legend, great manager, the leader of the Big Red Machine, and he will be dearly missed. On Saturday, New York Yankees Derek Jeter and Texas Rangers Cliff Lee become free agents what do you think Matt? well i think that these are going to be the two highest paid uh players coming out of this offseason i think the i think the yankees are going to end up paying ridiculously too much for both of them but then again what else is new yeah i agree what else is new they're gonna throw cash wherever they want to throw cash and that won't stop until there's some sort of tax or luxury tax or actual hard cap this is really a non-news story Jeter's going to go there. You know New York's going to pay too much money for him. It's going to be interesting to see if Lee ends up there. On Sunday, Kevin Durant of Oklahoma City Thunder gets his own shoot-around with President Barack Obama. Bob? Okay, this is a kind of cool story. The, the fact that he, he is soon to be or is one of the major faces in the NBA. Kind of a cool time to you know sit down with Obama. But I don't, I don't know, maybe... 
this wouldn't be the best thing for for, for Obama. I, I understand he has to keep personal appearances up, but there's a lot more better things that he could probably be doing with his time. He was making comments earlier this week about not spending enough time campaigning, and now he's spending more of his time doing things like playing basketball with Kevin Durant. Don't want to get too political here, but I don't think uh, I don't think the country needs him playing basketball with Kevin Durant. I think they need him elsewhere. On Monday, Wade Phillips fired Jason Garrett, the new head coach, according to multiple reports. Matt? Well, I don't think this is a big surprise to anybody. The 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 running the running line of bull that was coming out of Jerry Jones's general direction all season was that Wade Phillips was safe for this season. I think that from the beginning was nothing more than a try to give him a vote of confidence to help him along. But uh, after a 45-7 to drubbing by the Green Bay Packers, I don't think anybody was shocked to see this come down the pipe. No, not shocked at all. Actually, I'm more shocked that the Dallas Cowboys are 1-6 with the type of offense that they have. I know John Kitten is nothing more than the Trent Dilfer that, that Baltimore had a few years back, but you have a dynamic runner in Felix Jones that they never use. You have three wide receivers are, that are capable of carrying you, and you only score seven points. I, I'm glad Green Bay was my team this, you know, this week for the defense. They scored me 28 in fantasy, but beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked about the firing at all. And rounding the week off on Tuesday, this year two captains are to choose teams for the 2011 NHL All-Star Game. This is from thestar.com. What do you think about that, Bob? You know, I just actually found out about this maybe five minutes ago. Matt was telling me about it. I read the the little blurb about it. This might be one of the coolest concepts to an all-star game that we've had in, in some time. The fact that the fans are voting sort of for the captains and the pool of players. So it's not East versus West. It's not U.S. versus the world or Canada versus the world. It'll it'll bring up some cool kind of matchups. You see the captain, see what type of tactical thing that they have, and, and kind of hopefully give the uh, fans a show. Yeah, this is this is definitely a cool idea. It brings it brings uh, hockey into the backyards and out of, off of the TV screens. Just just like you know you do when you're when you're playing a pickup game or whatever the sport might be in the neighborhood. I get my guys, you get your guys, and let's so let's do this thing. And now on to our To The Point section. This section is where we have an open format chat that will hit the main topics in sports this week and allow for flexibility and opinion as we discuss those topics. So let's get started. So as we mentioned in the weekend sports segment, Wade Phillips has been ousted as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, cutting ties with the head coach halfway through the season. It seems to me that this happens every year. We've always got situations where coaches are losing their job. Um, in fact, if you if you look across the uh, nation in, in the world of college football, we've had uh, uh, Coach Hawkins got canned from Colorado University. Minnesota did away with their coach a few weeks back. It's fairly common practice. I guess my question is, does any good ever come out of firing a coach halfway through the year? Bob, do you see any benefit for the Cowboys at getting rid of him at this point? Well, for the Cowboys, this this actually might be a very good stepping stone for Jason Garrett. He's been a guy who's always been talked about how a possible replacement, even for uh, Wade Phillips, and then even when Bill Parcells was there, they were always talking about him in the in the background. So for him, this is actually a really good audition. Can he do worse than one and six with the Cowboys? He, he can't. So the worst thing is they, they figure out that Garrett isn't their guy and they go out and hire a new coach in the offseason or they give him a try. So for me personally, I, I'd have no problem if, if the coach is not 
getting up to his bargain the same way with Hawkins and the same same way with Brewster. These are guys that if you're going halfway through the season, why not fire them? Let let's see see if you have an in-house guy. This is kind of similar to Rich Rodriguez leaving West Virginia back in the days where they had uh Bill Stewart step in and how he, you know, performed in that bowl game. It was his audition. So if if these people have or these organizations or universities have someone in mind, it's a really good audition time. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think one of the most important things of firing a coach halfway through the season is it sends a message to the players that um, that there's a chopping block and that if uh, things don't start, if you know you don't start proving your weight, um, then then there's a, there's a chance you may not be on the roster anymore. And and it starts with the head coach. The thing that I find kind of interesting about it, though. Is as you mentioned, this is a this is an offense that's got a lot of a uh, lot of potential. There's there's a, a, you know running back duos and trios that that uh, most teams in the league would kill for. You've got a wide receiver trio that most teams in the league would kill for. You got a you have a you have an all pro quarterback in in Romo. Of course, he's injured now, but uh, John Kitna has certainly put up numbers at times during his career. And you're not able to win games, and you're not even able to put up more than seven points against a Green Bay Packers defense that has been, you know, band-aided together throughout injuries this whole season. The part about this that really confuses me, though, is the offense is led by their offensive coordinator, a gentleman by the name of Jason Garrett. How much sense does it make to put the leader of a failed offense as the head coach of a failed team? That that is, that is going to be a tough decision in, in that instance. But again, I'm going to harp back to the fact that we've heard Jason Garrett's name in the news ever since there was friction between Bill Parcells and Jerry Jones. He's always been that guy who's kind of been waiting in the wings, and he's had good offenses. Maybe something along the line that Phillips took control, Phillips didn't let him have enough freedom. Maybe it was just there was some friction between Garrett and Phillips that didn't let him do certain things. I don't know. We we really don't know because we're just speculating in in that sense because we weren't there. But I, I don't I do. don't think we it's a bad thing. Yeah, I, I know. But I just don't think it's a, a bad thing to let Jason Garrett go out there and see what he can prove for the year. You know what? 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 Yeah, I think I think that this is a. I think that this is you, you, you definitely got it right that the, the whole audition thing works uh, works in the team's favor a little bit because you have the you have the option to check out somebody without having to make a commitment to them. That that's certainly a, that's certainly a benefit of going this route. Uh, what do you think uh, for the remainder of this season? Do you think that they do better in the second half and they win more than one game or do you think the second half's much like the first or worse? I really don't see it being worse. Do you remember how long Romo is supposed to be out for? Damn, no, don't have okay. that info on me. Okay, because if he's out for the year, yeah, they're going to struggle all year. But again, Kitna is a guy who can manage the game, and, and that's all they need. Hopefully they shift the focus back to Felix Jones. He's a dynamic runner. He's a guy who get, get him out in space, and he's going to be able to take advantage of that. You know, He showed it previously in Dallas. He showed it back in college even. Some people still think he's the better running back to Der- McFadden, and McFadden's gone crazy this year. I think he's comparable. The o- Oakland Raiders have a, an okay line. They don't have a great line. And, and Dallas, they, they should ha- be able to do the same thing. You know, I, th- I think that's been their biggest problem, and I don't know if Phillips has some sort of input into that. It just seems that they, they get away from using Felix Jones, who is definitely a, a starting 
back, but if he but if he's not getting the touches, he's not going to be able to perform. I, I don't know how this offense is not performing at all. Like it has to come down to the offensive line not stepping up, e- even giving Kitna any type of protection. You have Witten, who I know he's been sort of hurt this year, but when he's been able to in there, he's a dynamic receiver out of the tight end position. He should be able to get you like three to five yards each pass. And then they have the three guys and Bryant, Austin, and Roy Williams, who should be able to spread the field. It, it just perplexes me how you only score seven points with this offense. Yeah, and, and don't feel don't feel too bad for Wade Phillips. He has definitely shown his chops as a defensive coordinator. He will not be out of work for more than one offseason. Um, so so don't feel too bad for him. Um, I'm trying to still look up the uh, look up the info on Romo to see how long he's out. Says no surgery. No surgery will miss six to eight weeks with only ten weeks left in the season. So that was two weeks ago. Yeah, so he's missed two weeks already. So we're talking about uh, we're talking about four to six more weeks at this point. So we we shouldn't expect him him back pretty much in this instance. So no, I, you have I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect him either because at that point yeah. in time they've already they will have played their way out of the well they've already played their way out of the playoff picture. Who are we kidding? And it's kind of crazy because if you look at their schedule for the rest of the way. You have the Giants, the Lions, the Saints, Indianapolis, Philadelphia, Washington, Arizona, and Philadelphia again. They could lose all those games. That That's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I know the, the Lions aren't historically or recently been that great, but they've been hanging in there this year. It wouldn't surprise me if they lost them all. Will, will they? Will they? No. I, I really think you, you can probably pull two or three wins out of there at least. You know, you do have the home Philadelphia game. You do have the Lions at home. I just think this is a good time for Jason Garrett to kind of prove if he's worth the time for the entire Dallas organization or do they need to go in a completely different direction. Sure. There was a uh, there was a, a, a story that I don't know how many people uh, how many people remember, but uh, Michigan Wolverines basketball team ended up parting ways with their coach uh, immediately before the NCAA tournament. Back in 1989 or 90, uh, the 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 assistant coach took over the team and led them to a national championship. So it's it's something that there's been success doing. You know, sometimes you can part ways with your coach and end up having more success. Uh, I think overwhelmingly, you'll find that when you part ways with the coach halfway through the season, the second half of the season is pretty much the much of the same as the first. I don't think this scenario is going to be much different. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's a future in head coaching or not for Jason Garrett, but I guess we will find out soon enough. Yeah, and I think all of this actually drops down to just an organizational or university type basis. It, it it's good for Dallas because we've talked about the auditioning of Jason Garrett. It's good for Colorado. It gets fresh blood in there as they're getting ready to go to the Pac-10, and even up in Minnesota, if they can get an established guy up there. They do have brand new facilities to bring in guys. I, I know it's Minnesota who wants to go to the Twin Cities, but it's still the Twin Cities. You know, it's it's not a bad place, and they do have history, even though it's been forty years. But I, I don't see it as a bad thing ever getting rid of a coach if he has a bad record too early. You, you can do that. You can flip the switch and be like, okay, in Nebraska they fired Frank Solich for going like eight and four, nine and three every year. 
Then they went to Bill Callahan, who did just as bad, if not worse. And it's taken them another five to six years to finally having Bo Pelini there, getting them on the right direction. So if done in the right purpose or, or the right instance, you're not going to have a problem. And, and I don't see any of these three firings that, that we're talking about today being in the wrong. Agreed. Agreed. Interesting thing to note, uh, Brewster at the University of Minnesota had a better conference win record than Rich Rodriguez does in the Big Ten. Yet he still manages to maintain his job, and he actually is coaching at a program that has a whole heck of a lot of tradition as opposed to Brewster at Minnesota, who, like you said, they have tradition, but it's from 40 years ago. Uh, not, not really sure that you can sell that to a recruit. By the way, you know, we won a championship 40 years ago. But uh, just, just find it interesting that with that type of a lack of success, a coach like Brewster loses his job, but a guy at a high-profile pro- program like Michigan still manages to hang on to his. Kind of kind of an interesting fact. Definitely a head coach in college football not uh, worried about losing his, uh, his job is Chris Peterson at Boise State. If I'm Chris Peterson at Boise State, though, I could start to get a little nervous about the possibility of missing out on a BCS bull bid altogether. A couple of projections out there that don't have Boise State in the BCS. You think, uh, do you think we'll see two non-qualifying schools, or I'm sorry, not automatic qualifying schools in the BCS games this year? Well, we pretty much know if TCU wins out, which there's a really good likelihood after their whooping of Utah, that they are going to get in as the top, not in the queue, the top five guy. But it wouldn't shock me if Boise State got left out. And, and here's the thing is that you have a lot of one-loss teams. Are you going to tell me that Boise State is going to get passed up by the second Big Ten team, you know, an actual BCS team? say a Wisconsin, a Michigan State, or an Ohio State, whichever one actually. Right now, if they all went out, you have three one-loss teams. You can only take two. So it gives you a little leeway if one of them does fall that you still have those two teams. Honestly, if you're in the BCS, and hands down, this is all about money. This is the entire organization from top to bottom. It's how much money can they make. Are you going to take a small organization like Boise or are you going to take a Big Ten team like Ohio State or Wisconsin or Michigan State who has a, a bigger following and can actually sell their tickets or, or make it more of an event? I know based on past times, the Fiesta Bowl back in 2003, 2004, when Ohio State went like back to back there, they loved having them there because of how much of a following, how many alumni just came into the city and how much of a boom it was economically. I just don't think you can match that dollar for dollar to a program like Boise State. I, I think if we're looking at if we're looking at um, if we're looking at a championship game that let's say, for example, our championship game is Oregon versus Auburn. You've taken away the number one contender from the SEC. You've taken away the number one contender from the Pac-10. So then you've got two bowls that have then have at-large bids that they can use. The, the Rose Bowl, of course, losing their automatic Oregon into the national championship game would have the ability to, quote-unquote, draft a team that, uh, that could replace them in their bowl game. I don't see them going the route of a TCU. I don't see them going the route of a Boise State. When you're talking about a Pac-10, Big Ten matchup, you're talking about a lot of tradition, and I think they're going to be much more likely to lean towards a one-loss Stanford team or uh, or some or some similar team to that that's going to have a large fan base out west. It's going to be able to bring them in a lot of money that a team like Boise or TCU wouldn't. 
move down the slate a little bit. Maybe the Sugar Bowl takes an at-large bid and, and pits LSU up against TCU. That's certainly possible. Uh, you know, Orange Bowl is going to have an at-large bid that they'll be able to use probably to match up against Virginia Tech or whoever else might win the ACC. I don't know who all is in that race at the moment, but uh, it seems like Virginia Tech is to lose. But um, I think that that's a, a, an ideal landing spot for a team like Ohio State or or an Iowa team that maybe, uh, you know, they're not one of those top five BCS schools. But it's like you said, at the end of the day for these bowls, it's about money. And there's programs out there that bring you a whole lot of money. High State's one of them. Iowa, uh, on a similar tier, I don't know that they have quite the uh, traveling fan base that the Buckeyes do. But uh, at, the, at the end of the day, these teams are going to pick in favor of the schools that bring them money. And Boise State is not that school. If you recall, last year we had a quote-unquote monumental bowl matchup between Boise State and TCU, which ended up being a laugher when it came to ratings and the amount of revenue gen- generated and I just don't see any of the bowl team or any of the bowl organizations uh, stepping out on that kind of limb again this year. No, I, I definitely agree with you. But just based on on bat past instances, you usually have a second SEC team and a second Big Ten team going in there. Both of those have fan bases that will travel, and usually the second SEC team, like you said, say Auburn does win out, they don't have to play LSU in the championship game because they're all in the West. The West is so ridiculously heavy this year that I, I saw the stat like the West is 18 and two versus the East. So as, as long as there's yeah. no like crazy up- upset or even if there is a crazy upset, say the East does beat, say Auburn, you know, Auburn's going to get that second seed and bump out LSU. So I'm guaranteeing that the SEC is going to get two. So the, the big thing sure. is going to probably come down to Boise State versus a Big Ten team. And, and that's if we have if the Big Ten has two one-loss teams, which it, it could shape out that way to two or three. I, I just don't see that happening because you usually have two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams. I really think we're going to see I really think we're going to see two uh, two Pac-10 teams as well. I, I, I think that Stanford has made their case loud and loud and long and and uh playing out west and i think they're going to be definitely the first choice of a of a bowl like the rose bowl or maybe even the fiesta bowl so that they have a fan base that doesn't have to travel as far now maybe i'm completely off base here because i can't say i understand the ins and outs of the bowl games but is there a possibility that any one of these bowls that you mentioned makes more television revenue than it's going to make from the actual economic impact of fans following and that sort of stuff. Um, in other words, is there any one of these bowl games that may say, all right, we're going to go the um, route of let's go the non-popular route, put a Boise state in there and then see what type of television ratings that we can get, because then you can kind of do something where you pitch this as a, Hey, let's, Pit them against a uh, a team that's actually ranked, and let's see how they fare. Because until you really pit them against somebody that's not on their cupcake schedule like they had this year, they really haven't proven anything, and that gives them an opportunity to prove it. So there could be a media angle, in other words, from doing something like that. Is there any one of these bowls that you've talked about that they could – try that type of an angle and actually make more revenue from that? Or does just Boise State, no matter what, not draw anything um, television-wise either? I, I think the biggest thing is that, like Matt was saying earlier, is that 
they tried the off key, the, the Boise State TCU, and it did horrible in ratings. Well, they're they're both kind of the same on the same tier. In other words, I'm saying if you pit them up against some, because because the line that we've been hearing over and over again this year is, you know, you put Boise State in the SEC or the Big Ten, they're not going undefeated. Obviously, matching them up against someone who's a higher tier opponent. They've done it in the past with Oklahoma before. They did. They've done it. They've played some of the bigger teams elsewhere i don't think it's going to be a big draw just because of the fact that it's boise state boise state doesn't have a name anymore or have they've never really established a name they're the almost the black sheep of the ncaa football spectrum in that sense we, we've had this before we've had the miamis the florida states who were fledgling universities football programs and they pretty much scheduled anyone anywhere they made a name for themselves where Boise State, if they're only getting this one shot, they're getting four weeks to prepare. They're getting four weeks to look at all this tape, you know, get healthy. They're not having to go through the normal wear and tear of of a of an big time BCS schedule. That it it again, it's been played out. I know I know minus the whole Oklahoma game where it was more hokey plays in that sense. That it, it was okay. That was kind of cool, but they've been there. They've done that. If they don't get into the championship game, or if TCU doesn't get into the championship game, this is probably a loss for both of them. Now, I guess to to clear to clear things up a little bit, um, there's there's you know uh, there's always the possibility that one of these two teams could sneak in a national title game. I think it's highly unlikely, but there's always the possibility. Let's throw that possibility out and let's talk about the other possibilities. There is. Of the four bowls that are remaining, we've got the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl. The Fiesta Bowl is contractually obligated to take the Big 12 winner against the Big East at winner. Safe to say that neither one of those two games is going to make the national championship game. So the Fiesta Bowl is eliminated. You cannot have a team in the Fiesta Bowl. You can't have either one of these two teams in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, uh, uh, unless one of the other bowls steals their, uh, steals their champion, which I don't see happening. Other bowls we're looking at, we're talking about the Rose Bowl has the Big Ten winner, which they'll probably get outright, versus an at-large bid. If there's one bowl out there who does not take risks on low-level teams or mid-level teams, it's the Rose Bowl. Steeped in tradition, there's no way they're taking a flyer on a team like Boise or a team like TCU. Not going to happen. The Sugar Bowl, I think, has some history of doing it. In fact, I, I, I may be incorrect, but I think the Sugar Bowl might have might have been the the bowl game that featured a uh, undefeated Utah team beating uh, Alabama a few years back. So they they have somewhat of a history, and they have two at large bids. However, I don't see them taking both Boise and TCU. They may take one or the other. In fact, that's what I'm predicting will happen. I think the Sugar Bowl will take probably TCU and pit them up against whoever comes in second in the uh, probably the SEC. So you're probably looking at like an LSU or an Auburn against a TCU, and that will be that'll that'll be a, that'll be a bowl that will have that draw. That you know that let's take a look at a superpower against a mid-level team and see how they fare. Um, I think there's a the, the only other bowl that has the option, the Orange Bowl. They're tied into Virginia Tech or whoever else wins the ACC. They do have another at-large bid. I think much like the Rose Bowl, though, I don't think that this is a this is a bowl committee that's going to will, be willing to take a flyer on a team like Boise State. I just don't see it happening. 
which, by the way, leaves the spectacular options available for Boise State if they don't make the uh, if they don't make the BCS Bowl, they could play in something as spectacular as the Humanitarian Bowl or the Poinsettia Bowl, the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. Right, 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 right. Yeah, which would just be great. Uh, I, I agree with you with the breakdown, especially the Orange Bowl. Remember last year, it was the Big East winner undefeated Cincinnati going up against Florida, and Florida just wiped the floor with them. So they're looking for for a game that will actually bring in national attention to a higher stage. And Boise won't do that, especially if it is a rematch with Virginia Tech, because no one wants to see that. We, we already did that. That was the beginning of the year. I understand those teams. Now, to be being fair, it was a good game. <laughs> oh, yes. To be fair, it was a good game. But that's one of those things where the sequel is never as good as the first. No, I, I get you on that. And, and if TCU does make it to the Sugar Bowl, that, that's not a bad bot for them. You know, Louisiana is right there, right next to Texas, so they they would actually have a draw for their fan base to go there, so they wouldn't have to go crazy amounts of uh, miles away or anything. And, and I'm gonna agree with you with the the Rose Bowl is and always will be, as long as there's bulls, will be the most conservative Big Ten versus Pac Ten. They are gonna try their best to do it, un- unless you know something gets out of whack. But I, I really don't see Boise State throwing a wrench into that. I, I don't see that at all. Now, uh, speaking of speaking of throwing a wrench in it, the uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you caught this at all last week, but the the New Orleans Hornets, who by the way are are, are undefeated as of the time that we are recording this podcast, took on a Miami team and knocked them out. The team that uh, that definitely had a wrench thrown in their direction in the season opener, now against the Hornets, they've uh, they've played a pretty impressive schedule. With a uh, average margin of victory of six points, do you think it's possible that although we wrote them off as dead in the off season and the team was splitting up, their point guard was leaving, uh, is it is it possible that the Hornets are the best team in the NBA right now? Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> I've always just wanted to say All right, that. Right, Corso. Yeah, I've just wanted to say that they're one of the top two teams. You can't forget about the seven and zero Lakers, and this is the seven and zero Lakers without Bynum in the middle this is a phenomenal start for new orleans you know you have chris paul in there helping you yourself there didn't you yeah he, he he's leading this team and, and it's not just him he's getting production from david west and i was i was actually kind of thrown by their offseason trade of darren collison but it looks like jared bayless seems to be doing an okay job backing up chris paul so i I, I'm actually intrigued to see how long this lasts and how well they keep this up. Because, like you said, they really haven't beaten anyone badly, but they have won all their games. Sure. And uh, and and uh, the the interesting part to me is is I've really felt like any success or failure that the Hornets had this year was really going to rely on what Chris Paul did. Now, don't get me wrong, Chris Paul's having an outstanding year so far. He is leading the team, I believe, in points and assists, and I believe second or third on the team in rebounds. So somebody who's playing, uh, playing lights out, giving you incredible, incredible minutes when he's on the court. But interestingly enough, he's only averaging about 32, 33 minutes a, a night, which allows him to stay fresh and hopefully keep him from getting injured uh, throughout the course of the season. But uh, I, I think coming into this year, New Orleans was a team that I wouldn't have been surprised to see him win 50 games, but I wouldn't have been surprised to see him win 25 either. It's just a team that I really felt like 
it fit in a wide a wide range of win possibilities but uh it's it's good to see for to me it's good to see them doing as well as they they are i think uh the more successful they are this year the better chance they have of hanging on to the superstar of the city who is chris paul um so uh, i'm glad to see that happening ultimately the best team in the nba title definitely has to go to the undefeated defending champions the Los Angeles Lakers, of course. I wouldn't necessarily say that Miami has been a huge disappointment this year, but uh, they actually got knocked out tonight by the Utah Jazz. Um, they 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 lost uh, two games prior to that. One, of course, to the Hornets, and the the of course uh, famous season opening loss to the Celtics. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, we had our we had our NBA preview show, and and I thought that they were a team that could win sixty five games. And I, and I don't necessarily uh, I don't necessarily think that they still can't. Uh, this is just a team that's gelling early on or, or, or working on gelling early on. Are you concerned about this team uh, as far as living up to expectations? Maybe not expectations, but I am kind of worried about tonight. They were up by 20 points and then let the jazz back in at home. You know, you're, you're supposed to have not to an be advantage. fair. You're not going to get you're, you're not going to get 46. If you're if you're Utah, you're not going to get 46 points out of Paul Millsap on a nightly basis. Yes, but you also have Deron Williams, Andre Kirilenko. Like this, this is a quality team in the Jazz, and and it seems sure. like the Heat themselves have sort of been running into the problem that yeah, we're beating the teams that we're supposed to. Like we we beat the Nets. We beat the Timberwolves. Okay, that's fine. You beat <laughs> Philadelphia. Okay, you're supposed to beat them. Oh, wait, you beat New Jersey twice. Um, their, their most impressive win is definitely against Orlando when they beat them by uh, 26. Again, a home game. So, so far they've lost at New Orleans, which is tough, especially the way they're playing. An opening night loss against Boston at Boston. I'm kind of speechless that, that Millsap and the Jazz came back and won this game, especially when this is the Utah Jazz team that many, especially after the departure of uh, Carlos Boozer, was talking about how they sort of regressed and they're only like a middle of a pack, maybe lower seed team in, out in the West. So they they play Boston again here. They play Phoenix in, in the next week. So we'll, we'll see. I, I know, again, we were going to have some issues with chemistry down there, people finding out what's going on, what role they need to play. It's just too soon to throw in any urgency or panic. As long as they make sure. the playoffs, they should be fine. Yeah, you have to. You have to remember, and, and I, it, it's it's hard to make a case for a team when you're talking about a loss. But you have to remember that the the games that they have lost, they have lost by the slimmest of margins. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of talk was made about the season opening loss to the Celtics, but you lost to the best defense in the NBA, arguably, on their home court. A bunch of grizzled veterans who know how to play the game. They know how to do what you got to do to win games. They know how to play together as superstars, and they lost by what two points on a night when Miami could not hit shots to save their lives. Their offense was extremely stagnant. It was LeBron and LeBronettes in the ha- in the second half, just like uh, you know, just like he was so criticized for in Cleveland. Uh, so this is this is not a team that uh, that's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a team that can pull out wins and make close losses of their losses, even when they're off, even when they're not playing well. None of their none of their three losses they've got at this point have come by 
um, any significant amount of points. But uh, it's 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 a team that uh, they've got some they've got some stretching and growing they got to do for sure. But uh, I'm not I'm not concerned about them at all. Be nice to see somebody else knock them off for sure. There's a there's a lot of fans out there that feel the same way that uh, you don't you don't necessarily want to see this team succeed. But I caution anyone who feels that way to not get too excited because we're talking about a very early point in the season with a team that has not gelled together quite yet. Don't look now, but the Cleveland Cavaliers are uh, at the f- the fourth spot in the Eastern Conference right now. Miami at the fifth spot. It's only time probably of the season I'll be able to say that. Hopefully not, but wouldn't that be wouldn't that be fun to see a see a home court advantage to the Cavs against the Heat in the uh, in the first round of the playoffs? Uh, in my dreams. But yes, that would be much fun for Cleveland fans. I just like how they've been playing. I, I know we were, really aren't going to touch too much on them, but as a whole, I like how they're playing as a team. Each night, it's someone else stepping up, whether it be Booby. I know they won tonight in New Jersey. Mo was like one for 12, but you had Antoine Jameson finally showing up and scoring 15, bench, 15 points off the bench. Their bench outscored New Jersey starters 52 to 41. So I, I like how they're, they're playing to Byron Scott. His poise, his guttiness, his determination has hopefully sort of started to wear on them because these guys aren't young guys. There's some veteran guys in there. They know how to win, especially if since they've been with the Cavs for the past year or two at least. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I was interested in Byron Scott's um, statement that he made before the season started that this group of teammates or that, that this team actually on a talent level is higher than the team he took to the finals. Of course, there's a certain amount of coach speak in that. Uh, you're never going to say it wasn't. You're never going to. You're never going to say a team isn't uh, capable of doing great things. So, uh, a certain amount of that is coach speak, but a certain amount of that is also the 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 fact that this team has been underrated because it has been such a team solely focused on one person's success. The uh, the some of the other teams that have kind of caught my eye in the early goings this year, the Hawks. With a with a definitely improved ball movement offense, a lot less of the one on one play that we have seen from them in the past, serving them very well as they have uh, racked up a six and one record, I believe, at this point. Six and two. I'm sorry, they dropped another. Uh, they've lost they've lost two in a row, but still six and two is a lot uh, is a lot to be proud of at this point in the season. Um, you know, not so proud that you're not working, continue to work towards future goals. But if you're uh, if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan, I think uh, I think six and two is a start that uh, that you were hoping for. Oh yeah, most definitely. Especially when you look at the fact that yeah, they they lost the last two against a, a solid Phoenix team and Orlando, who's one of the top three teams in the East. So right now they're beating the teams that they're supposed to beat, as in Memphis, Philadelphia, Washington, Cleveland. Detroit and Minnesota. So as long as they go through and keep doing that, they'll get at least a fourth or fifth seed in the East. But it'll come down to actually playing against these top-tier teams and them being able to match up or play well in those games. Right. Uh, I think as far as the as far as the disappointing teams of the season so far, you've got to you've got to look at. You've got to look at an LA Clippers team that's only won one out of seven. I know that you had them in the playoffs, and and I was uh, I was teetering on putting them in the playoffs. I thought this was a team that was capable of a lot more. Um, what what do you think is going wrong out in LA? They're the Clippers. 
<laughs> that's all you need, right? That's, you know, that's all it takes. Uh, this organization has been mired in so much of a defeatist mentality that they might need to move somewhere else, get a new entire front office. Something needs to change. But look who they've played. They've played Portland, a high-gunning, running-gun team out in Golden State, Dallas, San Antonio, Denver, Utah, New Orleans, and Oklahoma. Oklahoma being their only win, which is surprising out of that bunch. you think they would probably have the better chance to beat Golden State. But that's a rough stretch to start out, even if you are the the Clippers. So I I think once they get Baron Davis to get his head in the game. I know know there's been a lot of talk about how he came into the uh, season a little overweight, a little non-focused. Hopefully they can get him there, and and hopefully Blake Griffin continues to to blossom as well as he's done so far. Uh, Yeah, I I, I think as far as the schedule is concerned, I can sum that up in one statement. It's called Welcome to the Western Conference. You're going to play those types of games week in and week out. And if you're a team like the the Clippers, that's what's going to keep you out of the playoff hunt is, you know, they, they played in the Eastern Conference. I think you're talking about a playoff team, but uh, unfortunately they're, they're playing these teams so many times, these really good top quality teams so many times in the season, that it's really hard for a team to come up um, out of the ashes in the, in the Western Conference, you know, of course, disregarding the fact that the New Orleans Hornets appear to be doing it right now. But the Baron Davis thing, I don't, I don't know how much longer he's wearing a Clippers uniform. I, I know that they are looking to trade him. His contract is practically toxic, but um, they're trying to get him out of town. Whether or not that's successful is another story altogether. If, if, uh, if, if history will tell us anything, the Clippers, if they do in fact pull off a trade to get Baron Davis out of town, they will somehow manage to get a worse contract in its place. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on too much of a bailout coming from that that area. But uh, to be fair, uh, Eric Bledsoe has looked pretty solid in his minutes uh, coming off the bench and and actually in the starting lineup um, in the games that Barron sat out. I don't I don't so I don't know that this Clippers team is a team that misses him too much if he's gone. No, I I agree with you in the fact that he's toxic. He is the. New age, if if we can throw new age even out there, uh, but he he is the next Stephon Marbury. He is the next Steve Francis. You know, a quality point guard who is maybe a little bit too selfish, a little bit too out there, that he's not going to be able to help a team. So I, I really don't see anyone taking, unless Isaiah hops back into New York, that any team is going to actually sit down and try, and try to make him work anywhere. So at this point, especially with the young core that they have in Bledsoe, Gordon, Griffin, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and Aminu, that's a solid starting point. If if they can actually get some veterans in there that will help, I I, I could see them possibly salvaging maybe not this season, but but their, their future. They they should have a good future. But again, it's the Clippers. They've supposedly been having a good future for the past 12 years. The uh, the other team that uh, I think the record has been somewhat concerning at the beginning of the season has got to be Houston Rockets, 1-5. What's wrong with the Rockets? Aaron Brooks is hurt. I, I think you have to start there. He is... Well, that just happened, though. That just happened? Okay. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he was playing hurt. Even even a bit, you haven't well, he, really there seen. Was a, there was a scenario where there was a scenario in the game against the Spurs, 
where he had gone up for a buzzer beater shot. Ginobili kind of stepped in a little bit on him. Uh, he came down on Ginobili's foot, much in the typical Bruce Bowen fashion um, of the Spurs of old, but uh, went down on that ankle, rolled it up pretty good, and that's where the injury came from. I don't know if he had anything going on before that, but I definitely know we could trace back his current injury to that play right there. Okay, even if you don't have that, even even if they do, uh, I know that's just recently, they are bringing back Yao Ming. It's tough to integrate someone who's supposedly a cornerstone to your franchise when you've sort of moved people around in the situation to be playing as if he's not there. So it's it's hard to facilitate him back into the this team structure. Oh, and and I'll I'll actually point it out the same way we pointed out with the Clippers and we're going to account this to them playing in the west they've played los angeles denver new orleans san antonio (laughs) there's four of the top teams in the west right now so uh, no matter what we talk about tonight it's still early these teams still have time to catch up to where they should be because the houston's houston rockets this year with a healthy yao ming should be a playoff caliber team but they're just having so much chemistry issues right now that that they they need to work on it and and they're going to have some time it's a long season yep and and i think you definitely have to count in the fact that while they are trying to work yaoming back into the lineup back into the back into the system they're trying to do it in a maximum of 24 minutes a game uh talking about maximum gameplay intervals of six minutes at a time and that just really doesn't do anything to get him back into the flow and ebb and flow of a basketball game. Whenever he gets to the point where he's starting to get a rhythm, he's starting to get his shots falling, he's starting to feel comfortable on the court, it's time for them to yank it out because the six minutes are up. Um, I, I, I don't think it's going to be too long before the Rockets start reconsidering this whole game plan that they put together of let's limit Yao to 24 minutes a night. No, I I agree. It'll be interesting to see if they continue that path, if they break it, or if they seem to try to cut their losses and and go a different route, see if they can try to trade him. Because they they definitely have a a team mixed with veterans and young guys who do not only have to think about this year, you have to think about the continuity of the Houston Rockets. Not, Not saying that they're going to do this, but maybe there might come a breaking point this season where where you see them possibly realizing that they they need to to swing him for some young guys or they need to sort of he's an expiring contract isn't he uh i believe so so an expiring contract for 17 million dollars you can probably get a, a, you know some decent talent you know a, another younger expiring maybe a decent level prospect maybe a pick for him and we've seen this team succeed without him so it'll sure. just be interesting to see if a team takes on a 30 year old guy who has health problems there's uh there's certainly been teams that have done it in the past uh, uh and, and certainly teams that uh, have, have never shown a good propensity to learn from their mistakes uh, on, on the flip side, I think you look at teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves who, who are sitting at one and six and to them, it's uh, with them. It's almost surprising that they managed to pull off one victory in the, uh, in the course of a seven game span, uh, especially when you're talking about a team that has a point differential of 17 points. They not only lose six out of seven games, but they're averaging 17 points in those, uh, in those losses. That's uh, that's pretty terrible. It, it is. I, I think we could have some of the, the top NCAA teams who 
have possibly more talent or more cohesion up there. We, we've started to ho- sort of uh, trickle out the whole Kevin Love versus Kurt Rambis kind of friction going on. We'll see how that plays out as the year. I can see Minnesota doing something, I won't say foolish, but something irrational out of out of that and try to trade Kevin Love for something, especially since they pretty much left Al Harrington go for uh, Costa Kofus. Uh, and a bag of Twinkies, I think. Ooh, yummy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely con at the uh, GM position there has made some questionable moves in the past and it will continue. Uh, I think Kevin Beasley said it best um, the other night when he declared that the Minnesota Timberwolves are the worst team in the NBA. And when it's your player that's saying that, that's saying a lot. And not only is that, this is the same Michael Beasley who was so distant and out of touch out in Miami that in Minnesota, he's kind of followed in line almost with the organization. So he's he's been almost, I won't say a yes man, but he's been a team player too. Well, he quit smoking pot. Yeah. So, you know, That's... it's good It's good for him. And definitely if, if, if you have a more dynamic player like Michael Beasley, I, I would take him, I would say probably eight out of ten times over Kevin Love just because of his athleticism, the fact that he can kind of swing in the position of not only a power forward, but a small forward, depending on lineups. Whereas Kevin Love is pretty much a a power forward. Maybe I just always saw him as a shorter dude, maybe because they had him at center out in uh, UCLA. But he's only two years in. This is a guy you technically traded, I think OJ Mayo, wasn't it? From... Memphis to get him up here in Minnesota you think you would try to build around him and put a system in that that helps him now you know it's funny I don't know if I don't know if you're aware of this but Kevin Love has been writing a blog for GQ on their uh, on their website and uh, he had a nice little uh, nice little bit that he posted on the website a couple days back about uh, about Michael Beasley it's 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 really funny stuff apparently Michael Beasley will only take vitamins if they're Flintstone chewables and um, some other some other interesting notes about uh, a, a man who appears to be nothing more than an overgrown eight-year-old uh, so uh, if you get a chance check out gq.com the Kevin Love blog is it's 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 a magical reading experience I recommend it to all but uh, I think uh, I think it's about time we uh, we call it quits for the night, gentlemen. Mr. Sevens, why don't you cue the outro, sir? Yes, Mr. Sevens and Mr. Eights. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. And just before we sign off, I feel it's my duty to let everybody out there know who's playing in fantasy football leagues that Thursday night football starts this week to get your lineups in early. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm your host, Matthew Smith. We'll catch you next time. He said duty. (laughs) He said duty, but I'm thanking him for the final final, uh, fantasy football heads up. The final fantasy football heads up. (laughs) Go to bed. (laughs) And check it out, I learned how to play the Final Fantasy bass line on my guitar. Yeah?
No, actually, that's just a line from a movie I watched today. <laughs> <laughs>